Hello, everyone. Welcome to the brand new season of For the Love of Books podcast featuring indie and small press authors with host Emma Polova. I would like to thank our sponsors, Doc Chavend and the Low Ledger. Today, I will be chatting with author Mark Love, who will announce the details of his book giveaway of The Wayward Path at the end of the interview. Mark Love lived for many years in the metro Detroit area where crime and corruption are always prevalent. A former freelance reporter, Love honed his writing skills covering features and hard news. Hello, Mark. How are you? I'm doing well, Emma. How are you this evening? I am doing great. Well, I see that we share the same profession of covering the news. I am a reporter, too. Plus, we met in person right at the Holland Art in the Park event in August. Yes, indeed. That was a, a really great event. I enjoyed it. I met a lot of nice people there. Um, sold a lot of books. I hope you did, too. I did, too. So would you recommend it to other authors who are considering it and to visitors? Yes, I certainly would. The, uh, the festival was very well planned out. Uh, they had a lot of variety there for people. So it was artists as well as authors. And, yep. and it was really, I was just very impressed with the whole setup. That was my first time participating in that. And I've already signed up for next year too. Yeah, that was my second time. And I really liked that event. I really do. Okay, now to your book, The Wayward Path. Can you give us the plot outline? And then we will talk about the protagonists and also what does the title refer to, The Wayward Path? Well, let, let's start with the first part. Uh, a little synopsis of the story mm -hmm. is this is a, uh, a cold case investigation. It was a young girl that was about 15 years old and she disappeared about 15 years ago. And her body is found or the remains. And during the course of trying to identify the remains and some materials that were found with her body, the police are in the process of going through everything. And somehow the FBI, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, comes in and, and takes over the investigation from the Detroit Police Department. Because one of the items that they found with the body ties to a retired mobster. And this person is somebody that they've been chasing for a long time. The FBI is always looking at organized crime, trying to get their hands on it, break it up. And this person was involved with organized crime for years. And they think, well, if they can pin the murder on him for this young girl, then maybe they can leverage that and get more information about the organized crime operation. When they try and arrest him, he disappears. But one of the things they didn't realize is he's got a very unusual relationship, an old friendship with Sergeant Jefferson Shane of the Michigan State Police. And so he sends a message to Shane asking for help. So Shane gets involved with the investigation and is trying to clear his name and find out who really killed this young girl while he's trying to beat this out of the deadline that he's only had a couple of days to work on it. And he wants to make sure that the FBI aren't going to just railroad his old friend into a jail cell. So that's that's a quick that's a quick, 
summary. All right. How about the title, The Wayward Path? What does it refer to? Uh, well, The Wayward Path actually is revealed in the book. It's um, There was a geography teacher who this young girl was really very inquisitive, very sharp, and she was always listening to all the, and asking more questions. And at one point, the geography teacher was trying to encourage students, don't just, you know, be lemmings and walk the same route every day. Look around, take a wayward path, go somewhere different and see what there is to see. You might discover new landmarks or new businesses or things, but be curious. And this was something she was telling an already inquisitive young lady. This kind of ties in with the story. That's cool. I like that a lot. Okay, now let's talk about the protagonist. So the prime suspect is a retired mobster, Leo Agonasti. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about this mobster? Well, the Agonasti character was um, sort of in the background. He was the kind of guy that would help the mob or the organized crime families launder money. So he would come up with businesses where they could invest the money and take dirty money from raids uh -huh. or whatever and clean it and send it through other businesses so they would have clean profit they could use. And he went to business school and he was very savvy at looking at business operations and figuring out what would be a good spot to put money in. And he had some legitimate businesses too. Uh, so he wasn't involved in the actual murders or bribery or any of the strong arm things that you normally would associate with organized crime. Sure. He, was, he was a background, which is another reason why the FBI is hoping to be able to draw him in because he's got so much knowledge about the whole operation or the different organized crime families that are in the Detroit area. All right, how about Sergeant Jefferson Shane? Jefferson Shane uh, is, is kind of an uh, unusual character. The name comes from actually an intersection near downtown Detroit. Jefferson Avenue is a main street. Shane is one of the cross streets. And he was abandoned at birth. As an infant, he was found at that intersection by a couple of Catholic nuns who were out for an evening stroll. When they contact the police, they inadvertently on the paperwork listed the intersection Jefferson Shane as the name for the child. And then Shane was raised in a Catholic orphanage, was never adopted, went through all of the processes of Catholic school and you know, did that. And he was always intrigued by mysteries. So he became a police officer and he made, his progress through the ranks with the department. Now, this squad of detectives that I have, because metropolitan Detroit is so very big, it's over 6 million square miles, over 5 million people. And I wanted a department or a squad of detectives that would have jurisdiction over all of that territory. Mm -hmm. Because when I was a reporter, one of the things I got to do is I had a crime beat and I would go to some of these small suburban cities and mm -hmm. interview detectives or police officers about recent crimes there. And a couple of times I heard something from one suburban department and it sounded very similar to something that I'd heard from a different suburban department. And I got the idea that these guys 
don't communicate with each other. Hopefully they do now, but back then they didn't. So that made me drive the idea of having this squad of detectives that would cover this whole territory because many times there could be crimes that are in different jurisdictions, but they don't realize they're related until the squad gets involved in the investigations. Okay. And the victim, Charity Gray? Charity Gray was a 15-year-old girl attending Catholic school. She mm -hmm. was extremely inquisitive, uh, very, very bright. She was an excellent student. And she just wasn't satisfied with just the basic answers. She always wanted to know more. And so she was a favorite among many of the teachers that she had. Mm -hmm. But she was an only child, uh, referred to as a late baby because her parents were much older in their 40s when she was born. So they weren't expecting the child. And then she became so very bright and very inquisitive. And I think part of that in nature of being so inquisitive led to the situation that she got caught in. Okay. So what inspired you to write all this up? Obviously, all these experiences as a reporter. But at what point did you decide, all right, I need to write this up and why? Well, this is my third Jefferson Shane novel. And every time I finish one, I'm like, okay, I think I'm done with these guys. But these characters are just too good to walk away from. Uh -huh. And when I first started writing, I never thought I was going to do a series. Actually, I write two different series. Uh, they're all mysteries. They're all based in the Detroit area. And uh, it's just like I'll hear something on the news and it'll trigger an idea. And I'll say, OK, which, which story am I going to do? Which squad am I of characters am I going to use for this? And I was really getting interested in cold case investigations. Okay. And I started writing this one and I wanted something that would feature on the Leo Agonasti character because he was a, a minor character in the second Shane mystery. And a lot right. of comments from people that read the book that said, I love this character, this Agonasti guy. He's so smooth and he's so charming. Got to do something with him. Well, I keep getting those responses and I thought, I'm going to use him. I'm going to do a cold case. Let me see what I can put together. And one thing kind of led to another with that. And what I found very interesting is about the time this was at the publishers and we were waiting for final approval, gone through multiple rounds of edits and stuff. Uh -huh. Western Michigan University has a criminal justice team that has been working on cold cases with the state police. And back in right. April or May, they actually were uh, instrumental in solving an old cold case murder. And I thought, wow, this is just part of like the story that I'm writing, that it all yeah. comes together with a cold case. So these are still active investigations, but sometimes they just need a little, perhaps it's a change in the, in the technology that's available or, or something comes up that can actually help to resolve one of these cases. Okay, and so is any of the content based on real stuff that happened, real cases? Um, not, not the content for this one. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I did a lot of research and I've always am looking at my notes from different aspects of it. Uh, in the beginning of this particular book, I used a uh, person that would be working with a cadaver dog or a human remains dog, okay. which is how the body is originally found. Oh. And I met a, a lady a few years ago that that was her her role. She trained dogs. She worked with dogs for these detections for, you know, a cadaver dog, or, or I believe the proper term is human remains. Detected. And so I interviewed her for this role. And she's actually, uh, I don't know if she still is, but she was a deputy sheriff with a local county. A lot of very good information for me. So I used the details that I got from her to weave into that story. And it seemed to work out really well. How long did it take you to write this book? Um, I'm going to say about a year altogether because it's not, unfortunately, not a position where I can write full time. Uh, I also teach over at the local college and I do a lot of volunteering. So I write whenever I can. Um, And sometimes I would love to be able to sit back and just write for like six hours every day. But I think I would drive myself a little crazy if I did that. What age did you start writing? How old were you? When I seriously started writing? Yeah, seriously. Seriously, when I was really putting forth an effort, I was in my late 40s. Um, okay. I, I went uh, and took a couple of creative writing classes at college, and I kept thinking about what I'd learned in those classes. And one of the instructors kept encouraging me to start with short stories. You can do a short story well and get that published. Then that gives you motivation to try and work on a bigger piece, because I wanted right away to write novels. and. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I decided I'd give that a try. And I actually sold a number of short stories. And I said, okay, this is starting to go. Um, at the time, though, I was I was working full time. I had a couple of young children. So I wasn't able to spend a lot of time yeah. writing. But uh, I always had these ideas that were percolating in my head. Mm-hmm. And I would be going on assignments. Uh, I do recall one time. It was summertime. It was a beautiful day outside. I had the windows down in the car and I'm driving to an assignment for the newspaper. And I had a little uh, cassette recorder uh, with me so that I could work on an idea that I had for a story. And I didn't realize this, but I'm doing some dialogue and I'm going back and forth between two characters. I'm only one in the car. And this is way before cell phones and that. I got the recorder going and I pull up at this traffic light and I happen to notice movement to my right and I look and there's a lady in a nice big Lincoln and she's got the windows down and she's staring at me. And so, because she can hear me talking to myself. So okay. I held up the tape recorder and said, uh, I'm, I'm in a play and I'm rehearsing. And she said, oh, that's very nice. And she reached over, locked the door on her car and then drove through the red light. I thought, I better stop doing this. Mm-hmm when I'm driving, because who knows what's going to happen next. So you've never done it since? Have you ever done it since? Or you just threw out your tape recorder? Oh, I I, I will do it with my cell phone nowadays. Sometimes yeah. I'll, I'll 
record something if I'm in a situation where I can't get to a uh -huh. keyboard or a notepad. But nowadays, everybody's talking to themselves with Bluetooth or, you know, just as they're driving. So I, I think she probably just thought I was a little crazier than I looked and she went with it. So <laughs> what were some of the challenges in writing this book? One of the big ones for me is the shame character is one that has been gradually developing in all three books. Uh, when he first makes his first appearance, um, he's very much uh, harshly, he's an insomniac, he doesn't have any kind of a home life, he just focuses on work, 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 work. Well, during that first book, he meets a young lady and they begin a relationship. Mm -hmm. So I'm slowly bringing him forward where he's getting a little bit more comfortable dating and he's getting a little bit more accustomed to the idea of having a relationship. And I was trying to, when I really was working on this a lot, it was in the middle of winter and this book is set in like August. So I was constantly trying to think, okay, what would the temperatures be like? What would the weather be like? And I had to keep referring back to my notes and seeing what I could do and say, okay, I make this work and keep all the characters engaged. Okay. What do you feel you did right in writing this book? I think this turned out to be a really good story. Uh, I've had some excellent responses from people that have read it that are just thrilled. I had one young lady that reached out to me the other day and said, all right, now, When's the next book coming out? I'm like, good. I just, you know, I'm working on it. She says, no, no, the next, I want to know the next one. I said, have you read the first two? She goes, no. I said, well, okay, go back and read the first two. And then by the time you get done with those, maybe I'll have something ready for you. She's very impatient. But uh, it's, it's gotten some very good reactions. And that's something that always makes me happy. So. What would you have done differently? Um, with this one, I think the only thing I could have done a little bit differently is if I'd gone back to the Detroit area and refreshed my memory on some of the landmarks and some of the territory itself, because I've been gone for almost a dozen years now from Metro Detroit. I now live over on the west side of the state. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I'm sure there's some changes to the roads and things like that. And I like to use a lot of local landmarks. Uh, restaurants or like the sports stadiums or things like that because many people that are from the area when they read the book they go there I know this and, and I think that's really a treat for those that are familiar with the area. People love that I do the same thing in my books the settings are very important and the location so people can connect with that. Yes, I, do the I, I, I agree. Very, very Okay. What have you learned about yourself from writing this book and writing this book? I, I've learned that the more I write, and it's it's a lot like anything else, the more you do it, the better you become. And, and I've actually had some friends that have read several of the books that I've written. And that's the feedback that I'm getting as well. The books are a little crisper. The writing is a little sharper. Maybe the dialogue, the description is better. And um, that's really encouraging for me because mm -hmm. I'll pick up the book 
and, and I finished writing this one and got everything done with the editing and all that stuff. And I started working on another book in the other series right away. Mm-hmm. And it's been months since I really looked at it. So then I'll pick it up and I'll be doing a reading like with you or, or with a different audience. And after I get done reading it, I sit back and go, wow, that was good. I really liked that, you know. Boy, that re- that scene really worked out well, you know. Cool. Sometimes it's it's just a pleasant surprise when you sit back and, and you're like, wow, whoever wrote this did a really good job. Oh, wait a minute, I wrote this. You know? And like I go, huh? Okay, would you do it all over again? I mean you your plans are to continue this series? Yes, I already have um, a couple of ideas for what could be the fourth and possibly the fifth book. Uh, and I'm, I'm determined to keep writing as long as I can write an entertaining story. Mm-hmm. I think that's part of my reward. And if somebody really is interested in this, uh, I was at the festival in Holland and I was talking to a young lady that was asking me questions about each of the three books in the chain series. And she was looking at my table and I've got seven books stacked up there. Uh-huh. He was like, you wrote all of these? And I said, yes, I did. She goes, okay, I'll buy them all. Oh and my goodness. I was, I was stunned. All seven books? All seven books. She, she says, you do take credit cards, right? I said, yes, absolutely. And she says, but you have to autograph them. I said, absolutely. She says, I'll... Make sure it goes through on the credit card, and I'll be back in about 20 minutes because I want to walk around and see more of the festival. But I'll be back. I said, I'll be here. If you're buying all seven books, that was just, that's the first time that's ever happened to me. And I was just so, so very pleased with that. Got to keep writing. Well, you kind of answered my next question, which is what is the most interesting thing that has ever happened to you during an in person author event? Well, that, that, that was pretty cool. I, I will tell you, my other series uh, is called the Jamie Richmond series. And Jamie is a female former reporter who's writing mystery novels. But she always mm-hmm. seems to get involved in an ongoing crime or something like that. And, and she is a redhead, about 30 years old. Well, it seems like just about every one of these outdoor events that I do, I will spot a young lady with red hair and I'll stop her and ask her if she models for the covers of my books. And I had one young lady at, I think it was Muskegon a couple of years ago, that actually stepped behind the table with me and was talking to people about the books as if she really was a Jamie character. And had somebody, I said, well, you should get Jamie to sign too. So she scribbled a signature on there like she was autographing the book. And, and her friends were just aghast that she was doing that. But we had a few laughs and she bought one of the books and said, you know, this was fun. I should do this again. I said, stop by any time. You know, why not? That so, worked out, right? Whoa. It does. What's next for Mark in 2022? We're still in 2022, right? We are indeed. <laughs> I am just wrapping up what will hopefully be the fourth novel in the Jamie Richmond series. Uh, I'm just doing my fine tuning on it before I hand it off to my beta readers and talk to my publisher. And hopefully that will be accepted. 
And uh, if that goes forward, then I'm not sure the date it would be published, but it could be yet this year or it might be early next year. And then I'm really starting to think about writing a novel based on the Agonasty character. I may take it back when he was still active before he retires. Okay. So do a little like a, a crime novel or a mobster novel and just to try it and see if I can do it that way. Um, because that, that's something that I'm really getting a lot of positive reactions to. And I really like this character. And I thought, well, you know, why not? Maybe I could try something different. And I did hear from one of my reviewers that said she loved the idea that as opposed to being set in Los Angeles or New York, my stories all take place in the Detroit area, which mm -hmm. is it's like discovering this new little paradise. It's a little crazy and that's a little dangerous, but this is a really new area. And she liked the way I described things and explained about the locations. So I think that that adds to the flavor for the audience too. Okay, so would you like to read to us, Mark? Well, I have a little a scene here from The Wayward Path. And, and what happens during the course of the investigation, Shane is assigned an FBI agent by the name of Banks. She's a female agent. She's riding along with him while they're doing their investigation. That way, if they actually make some progress, the FBI is already aware of what's going on. The FBI is still trying to find Leo Agonasti. He's hiding. But Shane is hoping that they can figure out who was actually the killer and clear his name. So what I've got here is a little scene where they're coming to the end of an evening for the investigation. And that's when they get ambushed. So Banks was kneeling by the front wheel. He was pumping rounds at the guy on the right. As I glanced through what remained of the windows, she nailed him in the face. He dropped immediately in a heap, one down. I slid closer to the trunk and aimed at the guy with the rifle. He staggered to his left. Someone was screaming in the distance. I could only hope it wasn't an innocent bystander caught in the crossfire. Banks was beside me now. She slumped against the rear door. Her face was ashen. There wasn't enough light remaining to see much else of her. You hit? In the side. Don't know if it was a round or shrapnel. She gritted her teeth. Hurts like hell. But I got that guy when you shot him in the legs. Two guys left. He nodded. You got a plan? Wait until they're out of ammunition or reinforcements arrive. You're crazy. I've heard that before. Cover me. I'm going for that tree to get a better angle, I said. There was a clatter as more rounds slammed against the Pontiac. Beyond the driveway was a sizable oak tree. I was hoping it was solid enough to give me some protection. Banks fired. I swung my arm to the right and squeezed off several more shots at the rifleman. Go for the grass behind the tree and rolled to my knees. A metallic clatter sounded across the street peeked around the tree. The rifle was down, but so was Banks. The gunslinger stood in the middle of the street, one arm pointed in my direction, the other where Banks had been crouching. Pulled a fresh clip from the shoulder holster and loaded it. 
Bringing the gun up, I pushed off the tree and got to my feet. Gunslinger was slowly advancing in my direction. The angle he was taking, the tree wouldn't do me any good. He lowered his left hand and shoved the gun into a pocket of his jacket. An evil grin crossed his face. Don't need that one anymore. Now it's just down to you and me. You're screwed. You're just so stupid that you don't realize it yet. My gun was pointed at his core. He was only 15 feet away. Doubt I could miss from here. He wrapped knuckles against his chest. Body armor. I didn't move. Latest and greatest, so they say. Didn't stop a shot from an elephant gun. You're assuming I'll shoot for center mass. Of course. That's what they teach you, Boy Scout. He started bringing his right hand up to bear on me. This is state of the art. There's nothing. Tilting my weapon slightly, I fired twice, striking him in the forehead. He flopped backward on the ground. I walked over and kicked his gun underneath the Pontiac's rear wheels. Never was a Boy Scout. Thank you. Could you announce the details of your book giveaway? Okay. Um, I would like to give away one free e-copy of the book. Um, if we have somebody that watches the, or listens to the podcast and is interested in the story, I'd be happy to do that. They could uh, send me an email at MotownMysteries at gmail.com. With the subject line, book, podcast, giveaway. There you go. Perfect. Okay, parting shots. You first, Mark. You are my guest. Oh, I'd really like to thank yeah. you for the opportunity. It's always a pleasure to chat with you. And, and I look forward to future events where we can get together and, and share some more stories. Oh, absolutely. My parting shots. Read indie, buy indie, and write indie. Support your local authors, newspapers, and small presses. Keep your fingers on the keyboard and your butt in the chair. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.